Hey, my name's Hayden Carroll. Welcome to the Faithful Perspective Podcast, a series where we discuss together those key gospel principles that lead to a successful, joyful, and productive life for Latter-day Saints and friends. Before we jump into anything, I want to give you an invitation. Do you know a Latter-day Saint who is passionate about something gospel-related? Do you know somebody who others could benefit from getting inside their head? If you know somebody that I might be able to interview on our Faithful Perspective podcast, please email me their information at faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. That's faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Guys, you're not going to want to miss out on this conversation today. I had an opportunity to sit down with Edwin Lamoureux. Born into a farming family, Edwin has always loved the land. He grew up in Gilbert, Arizona, milking cows, riding horses, and working hard. His dad believed it was easier to raise tired boys. He majored in agricultural economics at ASU, but most of his career has been in real estate. He has worked for 34 years in the title and escrow business, where he is currently the vice president of the largest title company in Arizona, Pioneer Title Agency. He married Linda Pomeroy 46 years ago, and they have five children and 13 grandchildren. Edwin has served in many bishoprics, high councils, Young Men's Callings, and is currently on the High Council of the Tempe, Arizona YSA Stake. His greatest accomplishment, according to him, was convincing Linda to marry him and then stick around for the ride. He has earned and lost several fortunes, but prizes his testimony as the greatest gift of all. Today we talk about what it means and the importance of understanding true doctrine. We also touch a little bit on what it means to prosper in the land. Please enjoy my interview with Edwin Lamro. Today I have the opportunity, the privilege of having a conversation with Edwin Lamro. Edwin, how are you doing today? Doing great, Aiden. Well, thank you so much for uh, being willing to come on the podcast. For our listeners, uh, Edwin and I were connected through my father. Edwin and my dad had served, uh, are, are serving, are, are in the same organization in the YSA stake here in Gilbert, Arizona. That's right. Is that right, Edwin? That's correct. Yeah, we've been working together for about seven, eight years. So, actually, can you tell us what's been your experience in the uh, YSA? What callings have you served in the YSA, and what's been your experience there? Well, it's it's uh, my my whole church career has been with youth. It seems mostly. I I've been the past eight years on the high council in the Tempe YSA stake. Was recently released because they called me into. Uh, uh, a YSA ward bishopric. So I'm serving there currently with my wife. And uh, before that, I served uh, for about three years with the uh, YSA ward in the Gilbert Valvista Stakes. So I've had a lot of YSA experience and uh, love those, love that age group. And uh, before that, I spent a lot of time working with the youth, 12 to 18, and did a lot of youth conferences over the years. I've been Actually, this is my fifth bishopric to be in. Wow. I've been on uh, five different high councils, I believe, and uh, but I've been scoutmaster twice and young men's president four times. So the youth are kind of where I've been. Uh, one of my high council callings, I was over the young women, so I uh, spent a lot of time at fourth year camps and girls camps, and so. Uh, but I'm my seems like my uh, my connection has been with the youth, and I like that because uh, keeps me young. I I turned seventy this year, but I still feel young because I'm hanging out with these young people. Seriously. And it, it sounds like you're doing something right. I know that when I visited my parents' ward and you were the high councilman over the Pioneer Ward, the kids just loved you. 
So uh, thank you so much for being such a good influence on those kids. Oh, it's a pleasure. So Edwin, tell us a little bit about, uh, that's a little bit about your church experience. Would you mind telling us a little bit about maybe your family, where you come from, maybe a little bit about your work experience, what you do for work, and just a little bit there? Sure. I've, I've uh, lived the majority of my life in Gilbert, Arizona. I was born in Gilbert. Uh, to a, my, my grandfather came to Gilbert in 1923, and there's been Lamros here ever since. Uh, before that, though, all my Nearly 15 out of my 16 great-great-grandfathers were back in Nauvoo area where I'm sixth-generation pioneer uh, member of the church, uh, but grew up in Gilbert, went on a mission to uh, Peru and Ecuador. I uh, loved that, so I learned how to speak a little Spanish, and I've used that quite a bit. Uh, career-wise, I I started off in the uh, floor covering business with my brother-in-law, but then I Moved to East Texas for six years. Was out there from 80 to 86 when I was 30 until I was 36 with my young family. And I actually was building houses, developing land. Uh, The economy was pretty lousy back then. And so I moved back to Arizona and started in the uh, title work. Pioneer title is where I currently work, although I'm uh, the end of next month of August, I'll officially retire. But I've been in title and escrow work for 35 years. I also, uh, you know, invest in real estate, have quite a bit of real estate holdings around. And uh, but my but most of my career has been having to do with the land. And my dad was a cotton farmer. I grew up loving the land. I always thought I'd be a farmer, but instead I help people buy houses and buy and sell land. So it's, I'm still connected to it, but that's kind of been my career. And it's, it's, it's been a good life. The Lord's been good to us. So tell us a little bit about your family that's made the journey with you. Yeah, my, my wife and I have been married 47 years. Linda Pomeroy, she, her uh, great-grandfather was one of the pioneers that settled Mesa. Um, so she's from Pioneer Blood. We had five children. We have 13 grandchildren with number 14 on the way. And um, uh, we just got back from a week's vacation in Oceanside with all the kids and grandkids and had 25 of us over there. It was a great, great time. But uh, yeah, the family's been with me the whole time through the good and the bad. <laughs> As they always are. Wonderful. So Edwin, when I approached you uh, several days ago asking you if you'd be on the podcast, I asked you what topics you would be interested in discussing. And the first topic that you uh, brought up was a scripture in the New Testament, John 717. I just want to read that for our listeners. And then just want to ask you how you feel about it, why uh, you felt this would be beneficial to talk about, and uh, anything you'd like to teach us from uh, John 717. How does that sound? Too bad. Be happy to. Okay. Here's, here's the scripture. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And that's the Savior speaking. So, Edwin, I, I'm going to give the floor to you, and I'll ask some questions along the way. Uh, what can you tell us about John 717? Well, uh, several years ago, um, Dallin H. Oaks gave a great talk that I really, it really got me thinking. Where he talked about principles and doctrine. And he, that's a common theme for him in his, in his talks. And so I kind of wanted to drill down more on, you know, what are, what are principles, what are doctrine? And uh, in, in his talk, he, he basically laid out a plan that the Lord gives us principles and gives us the doctrine. Uh, and then he usually leaves the, the how or the rules and 
the laws to us, the, the families, how to how to do things. And so as I was uh, reading this and studying this, I, I really, really caught my attention. And uh, one of the scriptures that really helped me understand it better is a scripture that's found in, uh, the, in the book of Moses. And it's where Adam's been uh, driven out of the Garden of Eden. And uh, if it's okay, I'll, I'll read you a little bit of that. It says, and after many days, oh, and the Lord commanded Adam and Eve to offer sacrifice. And that's pretty much what he told them. And uh, didn't tell them how, or he probably gave them a little bit of the of the what, but uh, that, that was the what, offer sacrifice. And so the scripture says, after many days, an angel of the Lord appeared unto Adam, saying, why, why dost thou offer sacrifices unto the Lord? And Adam said unto him, I know not, save the Lord commanded me. Well, th th that hit me because when I was raising kids and when I was a kid and Aiden, probably when you were a kid, uh, your parents would tell you to do something. And most kids would say, why? And what would your dad usually say to you if you said, why? Because I told Maybe you so. Like, <laughs> yeah, I told you so. That's why. <laughs> and that's what I used to tell my kids. And what I came to understand is that when people say why, they really want to know the doctrine behind that. The doctrine is the why. The why we do thing is the doctrine. And so um, the angel asked Adam, why? What's the doctrine behind this, Adam? Why? And you remember what Adam's answer was? He said, I know not, except my dad told me to. You know, and in other words, we, we always say uh, why, and our dad say because I told you to. Well, Adam said, I got kicked out of the garden by not obeying. I'm going to obey on this one. And so he said, because the Lord told me. But once he had, once he had done obeyed the commandment, had done what the Lord asked him, uh, was being faithful and true, the angel then, after after the trial of his faith, after he had obeyed the commandments, then he told him the doctrine. He said, this thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore, thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. He gave him the doctrine behind that. So that really hit a bell with me. And so I've used that a lot of my, in my life as I've thought about things. And as, I, as I'm kind of in my later years in life, you know, I'm not, not done, but I got the clubhouse in view on the back nine probably. But uh, <laughs> I, I look back on my life and I can see many instances where the Lord gave us direction, told me to do things, and I was smart enough to be obedient. I didn't know why. And it's been years later that the why is revealed to me, you know. And I've got I got many stories that, that, that I can share that where the Lord told us to do something we didn't understand at the time, but we were obedient, and then the why was revealed. And uh, to me, that's a, that's a great doctrine that's uh, behind uh, most of what we do in the church. The, the, the why, the Lord gives us the what. He gives us the principles and tells us to do things. Um, and then the why comes later. And the why usually comes uh, in a still, small voice. Sometimes it's revealed magnificently. And, uh, but uh, the Lord uh, tells us what to do, asks us to do it. And if we do it, if we're faithful and true, then he reveals the doctrine to us. And so uh, there's been times in, in my personal life when, um, boy, things happened that that really I, at the time, I thought, why is the Lord putting us through this? You know, why? What's this all about? And 
The, the Lord doesn't tell us, even his prophets and apostles. He lets us kind of find our way, you know, line upon line and precept on precept. It doesn't necessarily give us the doctrine all the time. It comes, it comes, and there's always a correct answer, but it, it comes a lot of times a lot later. And so that, that's been my experience. That's why I love that scripture is why should you do it? You should do it because he said so. <laughs> it's back to us and our parents. We should do it because they said so, because Heavenly Father told us to. That's why um, I've, I've, over the years with the YSA, has been asked, um, I've had elders quorums that have asked me, that they, they want to talk about how do you make a good living? How, how do you make money? You know, because we, we all need money to live. But everybody wants to be, everybody well, Everybody wants to have more, I guess. But so I've been asked many times, what's the secret to making financial success? And my answer is, always, is usually always the same. I said, I can tell you that I I never got a college degree. I, I, I went to work, and I've been broke several times, and I've been blessed many times. But the one thing that I consistently did is I paid an honest tithe. So if you want to, that, that's always my answer to the YSA. They don't like that. They want me to tell them some magic formula, I think, of how you get rich. But uh, the answer is pay your tithing. Pay your, pay, pay your tithes and offerings and trust in the Lord. He'll, he'll give you sufficient for your needs, you know. So that's, uh, that, that, that's a good doctrine to know and to keep in mind. So can, can we actually just dwell on this tithing idea for a moment? When, yeah. when would you say, at what point in your life, did you do you feel like you gained a testimony of tithing? Was it when you were young, or did it take a while, or did you have to learn along the way, or what's that tithing experience been like for you? Well, I, I I've got a pretty unique. I was raised in the church, of course, and you know taught to pay our tithing, and my parents, you know, showed me how to count out the the coins to pay your tithing and those kind of things. But it wasn't until I was a newlywed. I was I was a newlywed. Uh, this would this would have been in 1973. And I bought a little house just down the road from my parents' house. So I was in my parents' ward, and my dad was the bishop, as a matter of fact. Uh, I think he was your dad's bishop for a short while, too, Hayden, or, what, or some of your family members. Uh, but uh, uh, I came into tithing settlement, and I was a little behind on my tithing. But I was getting a paycheck the first part of January. So as I went into bed with my dad, I said, Dad, I says, it's really not a full tithing, but... In about a week, it will be. I'll be able to catch up. And my dad taught me a really valuable lesson. He said, son, he said, uh, the Lord doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He says, so we're going to, don't, don't worry about catching up. Just start off the new year and always pay a full tithing and don't ever miss it again. And I'm happy to say that since then, I, I never have. I, I learned how to pay that tithing first. And there's been times when, boy, I had a stack of bills, but we paid the tithing, and somehow somehow it always works out, you know. And now, at this stage in life, I pay a lot more tithing than I did, of course, when I was young. But uh, um, I look forward to paying tithing, and I, and I, and I, pray, that, I pray that the Lord will bless us, that we can pay a lot more besides the tithing, that we can pay other things that the church uh, offers to us. So I, I learned early in my, in my married life, really, to, to be a good full tithe payer. So would it maybe be appropriate to say that that moment with your dad in the bishop's office, was that maybe a moment when you started to understand the doctrine more than just the I told you so? Is that fair to say? Exactly. Yeah, exactly, because I had mistakenly thought that the church needed my money to build temples and chapels and 
And dad explained the doctrine to him. The doctrine isn't the money. The doctrine, where's your heart? And you're willing to give all to the Lord. And so that, that ties into another uh, part of this uh, a, a revelation that came to me, um, talking about tithing and money that, um, you know, the, for, for, I've, read, I've read, of course, as everyone has the scripture that said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And there's been lots of different discussions about what that really means. But let me tell you what I think it means. I think, and, and, and I was taught this by uh, uh, one of the presiding bishopric members um, years ago. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that little story here first. But, but um, a rich man, I don't think, can get into heaven. But a rich steward can get in every time. And so if you recognize that it's all the Lord's and you're just a steward and you want to make that grow, do you want to be, you want to be prosperous? And, there, and I learned this with Bishop McMullen years ago when they announced the Nauvoo temple, uh, they were going to rebuild the Nauvoo temple. Well, we had some family history that tied the original Nauvoo temple bell to the Lamro family that they brought it across the plains. And so uh, I talked to my, to my mom and uh, my, my dad had passed away by now, but uh, and my family members and we decided that we wanted to help fund the purchase of the the new Nauvoo Temple Bell. So I wrote a letter to the presiding bishopric and uh, told him we'd like to be involved. And so they, I got an answer right back. It says, uh, "On behalf of the uh, church, we accept your generous offer." He said, "Our research has re- uncovered a different story to the Nauvoo Bell, which I've enclosed." But I assume you'd like to go forward. And then they, they had a story there called the story of two bells. And I told how two bells came across the plains. And it appears that, that the bell that Grandpa Lamro brought across the plain was, was a bell from uh, Iowa City and wasn't the original Nauvoo bell. The original Nauvoo bell was a smaller bell, a ship captain's bell that was on a, uh, came off of a, of a paddle wheeler probably on the Mississippi. And uh, that was brought across the plains. Uh, but Grandpa came across with this bigger bell, and they, uh, Brigham Young bought it. And quite frankly, it's the bell that hangs on Temple Square in the in the Campanile there by the Tabernacle. It's, and it's the oh, model wow. that, that they made the new bell out, off of for the Nauvoo Temple. So, but we told the, I told the bishop, yes, we'd like to, to be involved in the, in the new bell. And uh, so we went to conference that year with my mom and several of my siblings, and we met with Bishop McMullen. And we presented him with the check for the for the Nauvoo Bell. And uh, now, mind you, I'm, I'm aware that anybody that gave the, the least amount of money towards the Nauvoo Temple helped purchase the bell. It wasn't, wasn't us. It was, it, was, it was symbolic of what we were trying to do. And uh, But as we met with Bishop McMullen, I told him, I said, you know, Bishop, we're, we're consecrated people. And if this isn't enough, if you need us to do more, we, we can do more. And he said, well, he said, there's the clocks and the tower. And anyway, challenge us to raise, to, to, to pay some more, which we did. We came back and invited some of the extended family to help and uh, sent them back. But, but here's what he told me, Hayden. He said, uh, Brother Lamro, he said, uh, the Lord knows what you have for resources. The church knows what you have. He says, but if you were to take and donate all you have to the church, we'd just have to go out and hire some young graduate from BYU to try to figure out how to invest it and make it grow. 
obviously the Lord has blessed you and your family to know how to do that. So you keep it and keep making it grow. And if the Lord needs it, he'll let you know. And so that, that, that was a, that was a doctrine revelation to me also regarding tithing and offerings that, you know, the Lord knows who has it. You know, how many, how many times have you seen your mother take a meal into somebody who's sick? Mm-hmm. She didn't turn the receipt into the clerk. I'm sure she took that food out of door pantry is we're stewards. That's the Lord's pantry. We're happy to give whatever we have. So that, that rock had rested upon me, on me pretty heavily. And, um, really was a kind of an epiphany where once again, the Lord was revealing how to make things grow. So, so about six months, maybe a year later, president Hinckley announced the perpetual education fund. I get a call from my mother who was still living said, I think we ought to donate to that. I said, okay, mom, how much? And the amount she said was about what we had given for the Nauvoo temple. I said, okay. So the Lord had told us the Lord can whisper to my mother, who was the matriarch. And so the Lord tells you things. And, uh, in, in Linda's of my life, there's been, we've had chances to bless our family and extended family and help and, uh, recognize that you're just a steward. The doctrine is that it's all the Lord's, but he lets us be in charge of one little part of the vineyard. And our, 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 our joy and our opportunity is to make that grow. So as, as a, this is awesome. We, you and I, we could talk about tithing all day. Can I ask one little follow-up question on this? And just sure. to, just for our listeners to remember, this conversation is, is not necessarily about tithing, but it's about understanding the doctrine and why that's beneficial. Now, that being said, Brother Lamer, let me ask you this. What counsel, what advice would you give to somebody, a Latter-day Saint in the church, who feels like maybe they don't have enough to give, monetarily speaking? What, what, what can they do? to give to the Lord if they, if they, if maybe if they're living paycheck to paycheck or they're having some hard times, how do they give if they don't have an excess of money? Uh, it's a good question. That's a very real, real problem in the church. Like I said, I've been in five different bishoprics and I've been involved in, in tithing settlements a lot and those kind of things. And, uh, uh, the interesting thing is when the, when you go in to meet with your Bishop and he asks, all he asks you is, is this a full tithing? He doesn't ask, are you paying on the gross? Are you paying on the net? You know, did you include your gifts? He doesn't ask us any of that stuff. He just asks, is this a full tithing? So the Lord, once again, that, that's the doctrine. The Lord, is, it's not about the money. It's about your heart. And so um, my advice to people who are tied and are just living from paycheck to paycheck is you cannot get ahead of the Lord. You know, you, if you just make yourself take it out first, you'll be surprised. Uh, you, your car won't break down. You'll you'll get a little bump here or there. The, the, see, the Lord, the Lord leads us by faith. He wants us to have faith and trust him. We don't know why, and he'll tell you the why, you know. But you, you, you just got to get that particle of faith. And, you know, bishops know that if, if you have to, Go get the bishop to help you with your mortgage, your rent. He'd, he'd be happy to do that so you could be a full tithe payer. So pay that tithing first, and the Lord will open the doors and the windows of heaven. He'll, he'll really bless you. That's something that I find amazing in the church is that a lot of people, I think a lot of day saints, a lot, a lot of Latter-day Saints forget that fact that if, and, and as I understand it, you don't really, I mean, I guess the bishop can set parameters on 
how how much he gives and when he gives to the members regarding welfare. But as far as I understand it, the the Lord, the church, the bishop, the Relief Society president, they'll help you in times of need, right? I mean, we have the bishop's storehouse. We have resources where when we are maybe running short or going through a hard time, the Lord's going to be there to help us. Absolutely. And he, and he wants to help us and uh, is happy to help us. And, uh, but, but, but prove your faithfulness and serve him first. And it, it'll all happen. It'll all work. And there's plenty of resources. As you said, uh, I have some cousins that work for the church for years in the farm management side and they rent the huge uh, ranches and farms in South America. And, you know, the church is positioning itself with ranches and farms and stuff to take care of its saints. Uh, he'll take care of us. You know, the church has uh, got the resources, and uh, but you paid that tithing first so that you're worthy to to receive that help. Awesome. Even if you don't, even if you don't feel worthy, even if you're not a full tithe bearer, mm-hmm. you go to your bishop and ask him to help you, and uh, he'll and he'll help explain the doctrine to you, and he'll he'll help you feel better about that. So, Edwin, going back to this is a wonderful conversation. Going back to understanding the doctrine, let me ask you this question. What what would you say to somebody who's maybe having a hard time being patient with waiting for that doctrinal answer? Like Adam had to wait, right? Adam had to act before the angel said, this is why you are sacrificing. What, yeah. what, what advice do you give for somebody who's maybe getting a little bit impatient, maybe having some doubts on when they're going to learn what the doctrine is? Well, that's a good point because I'm one of the most impatient guys you ever met. And uh, I, I like instant results, you know. I like I like things to turn around, and you know, uh, I like to see it happen. You sound like a uh, millennial. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I want all these things, and uh, you know, the, the here's the here's the beauty of it. You've got to go on living no matter what. So whether you're patient or not, you're not going to force the Lord's hand. So trust in the Lord and move ahead. Take one step ahead of the others, and things things may get worse before they get better. That's that's how it is. I, you know, I told you about uh, East Texas. You know, we were there for six years. And when we went out there, when I was 30, I had sold a business. And, I, man, I thought I was a sharp young man. We had some money in our pocket. Six years later, we came back. We, we owed as much as I'd had in my pocket. We were, we were broke and in trouble. And, uh, and I can remember sitting on the edge of my bed wondering, why in the world is the Lord doing this to us? Why, why did he send us out there? I, you know, we felt like he had sent us out to texas and uh but we were financially it was disaster now spiritually from the spiritual side we and linda and i both served in church callings and we did some good out there but it had an effect on me emotionally and spiritually it's hard on a man to lose everything and have to move your kids back you know and uh i mean i remember driving out the the ropes from our house in a, a rider truck and you know my, i could hardly see the road i was crying so hard and i couldn't understand why and so we came back and it took it took almost 10 years for me to pay off the debts i had in texas and then begin again to you know start building it and and going and and so i thought okay i i become a better businessman that's okay i i'll be patient you know the lord's blessing me now and it's you know we, it's a lot easier to understand the doctrine when you're on the flip side and you're you're seeing the answers but it wasn't until just a few years ago so we've been back from texas since 86 so that's 30 years 30 something years ago um yeah we realized that some things happened while we were 
<laughs> excuse me, while we were in East Texas, back here in Arizona, if we would have stayed here, it, it would have really affected our family negatively. And uh, things to do with um, child molestation, those kind of things that were going on in our neighborhood. And, and in hindsight, in hindsight, I look back and I said, now if the Lord would have said, Edwin, you're going to go to Texas, you're going to lose all your money, you're going to come back deep in debt, but I'm going to save your kids from being molested. Would you do it? And I, I would have said, absolutely, Lord. But the Lord didn't say that. The Lord just, he let us kind of go along the way. And then, like I said, after 30 years, 35 years, oh, there's the doctrine. There's the why. Okay, I understand that better now. And there's a lot more that plays into that, but that's just kind of a general point. So be patient. Trust in the Lord. And uh, it's it's hard to do. It's not fun. No, boy, nobody likes to have trouble and sickness and uh, be broke. Uh, it's no fun, you know, but you, you just got to re realize the Lord's on your side and the sun comes up every day and just keep doing the best you can. Edwin, you know what I love about your answers and about the gospel in general? The best answers and the most common answers seem to be those primary answers, right? Read your scriptures, go, go to church, say your prayers, be patient, trust in the Lord. Yeah. I mean, we, we hear so often, and I've heard people say in the past, you know, wh you know, why don't the general authorities expound upon deeper doctrine and general conference? Why do they, why are they giving us the basics? And my response is, look, it's, they are the primary foundational answers. Maybe before we can actually get into anything deep, what you might consider deep, we have to learn to try. Maybe, maybe we haven't learned to trust the Lord. You, you, is that how do you feel about that idea of, of well, those sure simple... you know in fact you, you, years ago um, when Spencer W. Kimball was the president of the church, he came over to ASU to the to the uh, basketball stadium and it was a kind of a public thing so you could invite people. So I remember I invited one of our carpet layers who was a good Pentecostal man, good righteous man. Uh, I says, come hear the prophets you know so I took him there and uh, President Kimball got up and spoke and Driving home, though, my friend said, well, I was real disappointed. He, he's a prophet. He didn't say anything, you know, except faith and love your neighbor. He said, yeah, I, I was expecting him to tell us something really cool, you know, really. And I said, well, that's <laughs> that, that, that's what our prophets tell us. Be, you know, love your neighbor. Be Christ-like. And if you do those things, then, uh, then marvelous things happen, you know. But we all, yeah, we all want to have the uh, the great revelation. When, when President Nielsen said that the uh, last conference was going to be different than any other, you know, well, I'm thinking, oh, they bought the Kirtland Temple back. They're going to make that announcement, or they've done this or that. And no, it was it was a proclamation of the restoration. But think about that. Think what happened at that conference because of the challenges we're having in the world, this pandemic. We, I was able to sit in my home and stand up and do the Hosanna shout in my own home. You know, and I was able to to see the prophet in the sacred grove read that proclamation. Those things don't just happen. You talk about a different conference that was unique in every way. And what a blessing that was to us. I can only imagine, Edwin, what's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, who, know, who knows where the world's going to go? And who knows the, the counsel that the prophets and apostles are going to be giving us? I would assume that even 10 or 15 years from now, they are still going to be teaching the same things because those doc those doctrines and principles are eternal they are eternal and and i'm at see i'm at a whole different stage than you you're, you're at the beginning my second coming could come tomorrow 
Mm-hmm. You know, my, I, I, I'm like six months away from how old my dad was when he passed away, for heaven's sake. So I've got to be ready. You, you've got to be ready. Our second coming can happen anytime. So you've got to be living those principles. The Lord cares about our heart. When I let me let me share one other quick story with you. When I was on my mission down in in Ecuador, my oldest brother uh, was killed in a in a gun accident. And I was uh, I remember I was in the office and the telegram came and the mission president was in another part of the country. So my companion uh, told me about it. Uh, and so I, we went down back then to call it long distance. You had to go down to the long lines down by the post office. And I called home and I found out, uh, you know, what had happened. And um, my brother, we all called him Rig, uh, was not living right. He's married. He had four little kids. But he he didn't go on a mission. Uh, he was married in the temple. Probably shouldn't have been. My parents probably worked hard to have that happen, but he wasn't active in the church. He drank, he was chasing around. I think he was, he was cheating on his wife. He was not living right. And about two months after that happened, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley was making his way through the mission. He was the, he was the, uh, apostle over South America at that time. <clears throat> and I had an interview with him. And as I went in for my interview, I of course was trying to impress him what a great missionary I was. I was Boy, I was speaking eloquent and saying everything. And about two minutes into that interview, he stopped and said, Elder Lamro, something's on your mind and bothering you. Let's talk about it. And boy, I, I went from a from a this cocky this cocky missionary to a humble little boy from Gilbert, Arizona. And I, I said, My brother was killed. And he wasn't living his life right. And I'm telling people down here, if they live like that, they're not gonna make it. So you tell me, where does my brother spend eternity? And I, I was really pretty pretty rude about it, probably. And Elder Hinckley said, well, well, Elder, you don't need to worry about that. There's only one judge, and he loves your brother more than you'll ever know. And he judges men by their works, but he judges them by the desires of their hearts. And that was the perfect answer for me. I, I, any other answer wouldn't have worked. You know, but that, and, and so I, I read the scriptures and there's a, there's one or two in the book of Mormon, but it, but 30 years later, Hey, Linda and I went back to, um, New York and kind of did the church history tour. It was a conference weekend and Sunday morning, we ended up pulling into Kirtland, Ohio. And there's a, there's a church, uh, stakes center right at the bottom of the hill that we came into. And, and by this time, Gordon B. Hinckley is the president of the church. And he gave a great talk. And in between conference sessions, Linda and I ran up the hill to go through the Kirtland Temple. And as we were there, the little uh, reorganized uh, church guide was really was really pretty cool. And he, he took us up to the very top floor down to the West End, which is Joseph Smith's office. And in that office was a was a desk. And uh, that, that, that desk uh, had some revelations received in that very in that very room. And uh, on that desk was section 137 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph Smith's revelation of the uh, Celestial Kingdom. Now, that wasn't added to the Doctrine and Covenants until 1976. I came off my mission in 1971. So that scripture wasn't there. But there I read, and you, you, you've, you've, heard, this, you've heard this before too, um, 
you recall that uh, Joseph saw his father and his mother and his brother Alvin, who had long since slept, and marveled how he was there, saying that he hadn't, you know, been baptized or accepted the the gospel and, and uh, while he was here on this earth. And uh, it says that he also saw his brother Alvin. My brother's name was Alvin Riggs Lambro. We called him Rig. And then it said, I, the Lord, says, all who would have received it if they'd been permitted to tarry are heirs of that kingdom. For I, the Lord, judge all men by their works and by the desires of their heart. The very words that Elder Hinckley had given me that brought me so much peace, 30 years later, once again, that doctrine was revealed to me. It's kind of the aha thing came again, you know. And I thought, okay, the Lord wants our hearts. That's what he wants. What is the desire of your heart? So, you know, if someone's listening here that's struggling with the doctrine or struggling with finances or struggling with whatever, the Lord wants your heart. He, he, you know, do the best you can. Look into him and love him and, and give him your heart and he'll, he'll bless you and he'll, he'll take care of you. Edwin, thank you so much for, for sharing that. What a valuable lesson, especially to learn at the hands or the feet of an apostle and eventually the president of the church. Now, Edwin, in conclusion to our to our talk, can I just bring up one other doctrine that you and I kind of wanted to talk about here? And yeah. it's, it's the idea that, it, well, rather, I should say it's the quote in the Book of Mormon, and I actually looked it up this morning, 28 times, and maybe I miss, even if I miss some, at least 28 times in the Book of Mormon, the Lord mentions us prospering in the land. Now, in connection with understanding the doctrine, I'm going to consider this a doctrine, right? That we can prosper in the land if we do X, Y, Z. So my, my question for you is, what's your thought on uh, that phrase, prospering in the land? Maybe what does it mean to prosper? How do we get there? And this is obviously in connection to what we've already been talking about, but what do you think? How do you feel about that? Well, I love that scripture too. The Lord wants to prosper us. He wants to bless these saints. He wants us to do good. But you think about prosperous, how many, how many wealthy people do you know that aren't happy? You know, how many famous people do you know that aren't happy? You know, they, their lives are miserable. So prospering has nothing to do with fame or fortune. It has everything to do with how you feel about yourself. And one of my favorite quotes, I, I wrote it down so I could share it with you. It's Brigham Young. I love this quote. He says, where is happiness, real happiness? Nowhere but in God. By possessing the spirit of our holy religion, we are happy in the morning. We are happy at noon. We are happy in the evening. For the spirit of love and Zion is with us. And we rejoice in the spirit because it is of God. And we rejoice in God for he is the giver of every good thing. Every Latter-day Saint who has experienced the love of God in his heart after having received the remission of his sins through baptism and the laying on of hands, realizes that he is filled with joy and happiness and consolation. He may be in pain, in error, in poverty, or in prison if necessity demands. Still, he is joyful. This is our experience, and each and every Latter-day Saint can bear witness to it. That's prospering, being happy and feeling that love and feeling that that's that's being prospered. And to me, that's that's the goal. That's our goal. That's my goal. You know, my, my wife and I, after 47 years of marriage, we love being together. It's, it's the happiest thing. We, this quarantine, that's been like an extended honeymoon. We've really <laughs> loved it. And I, and I shared it with the YSAs. I says, get yourself a spouse. You know, <laughs> it's a good way to spend a quarantine. 
Mm-hmm. That's happiness. And that and that's because we've been through the trials, we've been through the happiness and the good times. We know the doctrine. The doctrine is you hang on and you stay stay together and things turn out. I, President Hinckley, I love it. He'd always say, things work out. Don't worry about it. Things work out. <laughs> So, Edwin, can I ask you kind of a not really uh, not to be a devil's advocate, but I I have and I I totally agree with what you're saying. I have heard people, whether it's online or, you know, in my circle, I've heard people in my life say that they are happier outside of the church rather than inside. What's your response to somebody who says that their life is better not living the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because what you're advocating for is live the gospel prosper and be happy but what how do you respond to those individuals who may feel that way well here perhaps happy is the wrong word the right word is peace Mm. everybody wants peace and i know people who are drugging and drinking and they're outside the church and stuff and they 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 think they're being happy but they don't have the they don't have that peace that comes from from uh, righteous living and peace is peace is what we want and Mm. peace comes from families and it comes from loving relationships and and the real peace comes from the savior you know and that's uh i mean i've I've heard the same thing people think that they're living a happy life and it's sure easier you know it's easier not to pay tithing it's easier to not live the word of wisdom i guess until you become an alcoholic and Mm -hmm. a drug addict Mm -hmm. i I don't know any of those that are happy and uh so the, the lord was wise the lord has told us you know the straight and narrow way that doesn't mean it's the strict. It means it's the easiest way. The easiest way is the straight way, and it's narrow. You don't need to wander. You know that's the easiest way. So I'm gonna stick with the easy way. Can I uh, tell a little story that just popped in my head? And, sure. And let me ask you how you feel about it. When I was in the YSAs in Southern Utah at Southern Utah University, I had a wonderful bishop there, and uh, he was probably I don't know maybe 75, 76 years old, and he got up one fast and testimony meeting. And he told a short story about how in, and in Cedar city, not like in, in Mesa and Phoenix, it snows a lot in, in Southern Utah, the part that we were in. And the story he told is one, you know, every morning he drives to work and some mornings he would drive earlier than the snow plow. And in the principle that he wanted to teach was if he can wait for the snow plow to go before him, to mark the path, it is so much easier and, and saves so many issues, especially with the snow in his vehicle, whatever vehicle he was driving. But the principle was, look, the Savior has gotten up before you early in the morning and he's plowed the way. And why on earth would we choose to go the way that isn't plowed? And I just, I love that, that the Savior has already plowed the way. Why would we choose any other way? I love that, too. That's a great, great analogy. of, You know, and that's the amazing thing about the atonement. The Savior has paid the price. Let him have that burden. You know, he's already paid the price. You know, you don't need to do it again. And, and he knows the way. You know, the fact that he's suffered everything and can succor us and knows us, that's, that's got to bring great peace to it to everyone. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. I, I think the Lord is constantly begging us to come on. He's, he's got his arms wide open. You know, I love the scripture where it talks about, he puts his robe of righteousness around us. 
you know, I, I think that's Second Nephi 4, and, and we're wrapping the robes of his righteousness. You know, he covers up all of our faults and our warts and our freckles and everything that's bad about us, and we look like him because we're clothed in his robe and have his image in our countenance. You know, it's a great blessing to be a member of this church and understand that doctrine. Edwin, in, in, in total conclusion, would you mind just bearing simple testimony? What's your, what's your experience or testimony regarding the Savior and his atonement? And I know you've given us a little bit, but would you just expound upon that? I, just, I think that's the perfect way to close this little talk we've been having is let's focus on the Savior. What's been your experience with him and his atonement? Well, the, the Savior is the reason. He, he, he did it all. I, he, we, we don't even approach Heavenly Father unless we do it in the name of Jesus because he's, he's, he's the perfect soul. So there's been times in my life when I, boy, I have felt dirty and I've been dirty and I, I didn't even, I, I didn't feel like praying. I, I was in, in, too embarrassed to pray. And uh, I can remember one occasion I was, boy, I was out near, near, near the desert mountain up by South mountain. And uh, I just felt I had to pray and I got out and started praying and boy, I was feeling nothing. And finally I sat down, I turned around and, I started reminding the Lord of things I was doing right. And I began to feel a little bit of the spirit. But as I was walking back to my car, I'm thinking to myself, boy, the Savior, I've just, I've just done too much. And he's, he doesn't want me. And immediately I felt like somebody had opened my head up and poured warm honey in me. And I, and I felt, I felt the Savior say, I hear you. And of course you'll be forgiven. Just keep on keep on working and keep on doing and repenting and doing good. Of course I hear you. Of course I hear you. And, uh, um, it reminded me when I was a young man, there's some things I know we, this past week we were sitting on the beach and, uh, I thought about what do I really know? What is truth? And the things I really know all come because I know that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and he died for me and he paid the price. And that, that testimony, I, I, I could never deny that. I, I, I cling to that. And I can't wait to see his face and to wet his feet with my tears. For I know that he is God's almighty son. And he makes all the things we've talked about here. All of that comes from him and in no other way. And I'll leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Edwin. I know for a fact that you are going to bless many lives. I hope all the individuals listening to this take seriously the understanding that Edwin's been given us. I know that I've been blessed, and I want to thank you so much, Edwin, for being on our podcast today. My pleasure, Hayden. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend, and we'll catch you next time on the Faithful Perspective Podcast.